You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Open up your Bibles right off the bat to Psalm 56. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can put your hand up and we have some ushers coming by with some stacks of Bibles and they would be happy to get a copy of it into your hands. So so you can open up to Psalm 56. So the end of the year is a time where we usually spend a bit of time reflecting on how the year has gone. A lot of times that's where our New Year's resolutions come in. We can look back and think about all the great things that happened, or maybe some things on our to-do list that we're still waiting on, that are still kicking around. I want us to take an honest look today uh, and look at our last year, particularly how we handled times of hardship and times of fear, because we know we can probably think back and think of a few times where some hardships popped up this year. Maybe you think this year you really grabbed the bull by the horns and followed the Lord boldly this year, and praise God for that. So how are you going to keep doing that in 2018? Or maybe you feel like the events of the year maybe grabbed you a little bit more, and you're finishing off 2017 a bit defeated. So how is 2018 going to be characterized by your love for your Lord, your love for your Lord and boldness for Him? So follow along in Psalm 56 with me as we read this song that David wrote. So it starts off even before verse one. To the choir master according to the dove on far off terebinths, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid what can man do to me. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So I want to bring your attention to the part even before the psalm really begins, even before verse one. The first part's where it's talking about according to the dove and a miktam of David. You're like, I don't know what a terebinth is or a miktam. Uh, Likely those are describing uh, the music. Perhaps it's the tune to it to which it's sung. But I want to focus in on where it says, when the Philistines seized him in Gath, because that gives us such a good clue to what's going on here. You don't need to turn there with me, but if you want to, you can jot down uh, 1 Samuel 21 so you know where the context of this psalm is, where it's coming from. So it's 1 Samuel 21. David has just begun his long run from Saul when he finds out that Saul wants him dead, and he runs to a city called Nob, and there a priest gives him a sword since he didn't have any at the time, and David continues his escape to Gath. Like, I don't know what these cities are called, but they are kind of important. 
David arrives in Gath, which is actually the hometown of a gentleman named Goliath. Perhaps you've heard of that man. Um, Not only that, he comes to Goliath's hometown, but the sword he was given in the town before was actually Goliath's old sword as well. So he's walking into the hometown of the guy that he had killed in his youth with his sword in his hand. I'm pretty sure the only way he could have made it any worse for himself is if he had been humming that little song about like Saul killed his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands. I think that's about the only way he could have made it worse for himself. Needless to say, David was pretty desperate and he was having a pretty lousy day. Uh, he was going to the last place Saul would ever look for him. That's, that's not where I would go looking for David if I was expecting him to flee to safety. But that's how badly he needed to escape. So David is wondering, he's wondering what's going on. And your first point you can write down is just how sometimes our year looks. It's just asking ourselves, where is God? And that's what David is asking himself in this time. So I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 again. I'm going to skip over verse 3 to 4, not because they're not great, but because those are actually the chorus. This is a song, so that is the chorus that gets repeated, and we're going to come back to that. Just as a reminder of that question David's asking. He's saying, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Then again, skipping down, all day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crimes will they escape in wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. So where is God? Have you found yourself asking yourself that at any point this year? Maybe not literally, but are people trampling you, oppressing you, or attacking? Does it feel like at work? Things just constantly get dumped on you. That might not necessarily be your responsibility, but it's just added, adding up again and again. Or are people injuring your cause? Are they intentionally doing things to just mess with you or slander your name, possibly? Did the year just simply overwhelm you? Again, think of what David's been told. He's been told he's going to be king one day. That in and of itself is more than enough responsibility to scare somebody. And now he has all this fear for his life on top of it. Maybe for you guys, it's life as a parent or responsibilities at work, or maybe you're still going through school. Maybe you're doing all three of them at once. Does it feel like it's just too much and you have fear about getting everything done? Even look in our passage, just how many times David says all day or all their thoughts. He's saying it's unrelenting four times in a few verses. He's saying just this unrelenting, no relief, no peace. Um, that's, that's where David's at, and sometimes our years can feel like that. But it isn't just people that can injure your cause or oppress you. When sickness comes on the scene, it can easily uh, put fear between you and what God wants you to accomplish. So again, do you ever find yourself asking where God is? David's asking, ultimately, what God is doing and where he is. He's asking for their crime. Are they going to escape? Like, are you going to let them get away with this? This is more than I can handle. I need you to do something about it. So that's where David is in this psalm. I want you thinking through your year a little bit and think, was that, was that me at any point this year just sitting there wondering where God is and wanting him to act and not necessarily seeing it in the way maybe you wanted it to happen? But just asking yourself where God is in your hurt, in your pain, or in your fear. 
So we are going to get to the chorus, though. So again, follow along with me. So if you want to know where God is when you're afraid or how you respond, you don't know what's going to happen in this sickness or your job or with your kids. The reality is nobody knows what's going on with their kids. Um, But are you scared of these things and want to know where to find God? We're going to look at uh, at the chorus in verse 3 and 4 quick. It says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then in verse 10, he repeats the, verse, or the chorus again. It says, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So your second thing you can write down is, When I am afraid, I will trust in God. When everything around me seems overwhelming and I'm faced with things that I seem absolutely unqualified for, I will trust in God. I'll trust in him no matter what the circumstance. We get scared when we don't understand what's happening or we know we can't control things. Benjamin Harrison, he was the 23rd president of the United States. I did not know that. I did Google it. Um, And he was in office when electricity was first installed in the White House. He didn't understand electricity. He didn't understand the switches all that much because it was really the first time he had seen them. And he was so scared of them because he didn't get it and he knew he didn't control it that he actually wouldn't even touch the light switches because he didn't know what would happen. And if there weren't servants around to shut the lights off, they would actually just sleep with the lights on. They wouldn't even bother. It's like, you know what? We'll sleep with the lights on. And I can just picture him and his wife laying there just talking to each other, just, no, you turn it off. I'm not touching that thing. You turn it off. No, fine, we'll sleep with the lights on. I don't mind. They they honestly, they didn't know what could potentially happen because they hadn't seen it in action enough. Their fears actually stopped them from even sleeping in the dark. And we can easily get overwhelmed and feel way out of our league, completely out of our comfort zone, when we don't know the outcome of things. But the question is, are you going to trust in God and accomplish what he calls you to, or be paralyzed and wind up sleeping with the lights on every night. So David puts his trust in God, whose word he praises. He trusts the promises of God found in scripture. So how does David trust so much in the word of God when these people are trying to kill him? Clearly, he has to know the word of God first. It's hard to trust in something that you don't even know. So that's a good starting point. But why does he believe it and trust it so firmly? What are some of the things that characterize the word of God? So God's word is a lot of things. We're just going to look at three of them quickly of what God's word is. So you can write these as underneath your second point. So first, his word is supreme. It's the absolute authority. In Titus 2.15, after describing the gospel, Paul tells Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, he's not telling him this. He's not saying to rebuke with all authority because Titus is something special, but because the message he carries and the Holy Spirit within him has all authority. So he can be bold because he knows that the message he carries and the Holy Spirit has authority. God's word is absolutely supreme because it comes straight from the mouth of God. I find it interesting in our passage, David actually says, in God whose word I praise. He even attributes praise to the word of God itself. Lifting high the word of God is lifting high God himself. The scripture we hold, the Bibles that you have in your hands, is the very word of God. It was described to me this way. 
If your child says to their friends, maybe they're talking about obedience to their parents, if your child went to their friends and said, what, like you don't listen to what your parents say? Like I obey everything my parents say, I always do what they say. You're like, okay, that's a very beautiful fairy tale, but that would be wonderful. But them listening to your words, you're you're counting that as the same as listening to you. Even if you wrote things down for them to do and they accomplished it, it would bring you the exact same joy of them following your written down commands as it would if you told it to them verbally with you physically there. Because your words are the exact representation of what you think, what you feel, what you desire. They're the exact same. The word of God has authority and the word of God is supreme because it describes exactly who God is. It is who he is. Secondly, the word of God is sure. You can trust it because it's sure. David praises God's word because he can trust it. He's not going to praise in something that meets his needs 10% of the time. He knows it's truth every single time. You can believe every single word that is in scripture. I once had somebody ask me if I was one of those Christians that believed everything in the Bible. It was pretty difficult not to just sit there and stare, kind of confused, not sure how to answer that. Um, But of course I do. I'm not going to pick and choose which words of the all-knowing God I believe. They're all true. It has authority because it's from God, and I trust it because every word God says is true, and he had it recorded as such. I'm not going to pick and choose um, what I'm going to believe. The Bible is verbally inspired by God. It's his actual words. You can write down uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 as a reference for it if you'd like. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Again, every word is true. Not some, not just the ones I agree with. All of scripture is true. And 2 Peter 1.21 as well. It says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, scripture isn't just something that's similar to God's word. It's not just like God's word. It's not in line with God's word. It is his very word. Again, I want you to let that sink in for a minute, that these are the actual words of God. It's not some elementary school love story where a friend of a friend of a friend of mine says, Betty kind of has a crush on you. No, this is me that I can open this up and say, okay, you see this right here? I can point it out and say, this is actually God's word to you. This is exactly what he wanted you to know. It's not going through a friend of a friend. That's what David is trusting in. Then on top of that, We have the written word of God, but we also have the word of God incarnate, Jesus who came in the flesh to reveal himself, confirming everything that scripture had said. The word of God in the flesh validated the written word of God in the Old Testament in the past, and then he spoke through the apostles in the New Testament, validating it for the future, all with Christ at the center, saying every written word, past and present, is the word of God. There's plenty of evidences for why the word of God is true, and those bolster my faith, but the greatest authority has already confirmed it. I don't need so many uh, evidences when Christ himself has said, these are my words. Again, my thinking, my scientific arguments, they don't validate God's word. Jesus did it. He validated scripture, and that's more powerful than any person can make arguments for. 
God's word is sure because God spoke it. You can call it inerrant, call it infallible. Every word is true in the way God intended it to be understood. And lastly, God's word is sufficient. Now, when David was in Gath, he was, he was absolutely alone. A chapter later, people are going to join him. He's going to be surrounded um, by people. But when David's being oppressed here, he is alone, but he has the word of God, and, he's to- and that's totally sufficient, and that's enough for him. I think that's hard for us to really wrap our minds around to think that someone's chasing him down, trying to kill him, and he says, yeah, I know that, but I have the word of God, and that'll do it for me. He says, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. His situation isn't different. He doesn't have some brand new plan of how he's going to survive. Nothing's really changed. It's just he has the word of God, and he's not going to be afraid because that's good enough. God's word is enough. It's sufficient. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's word is sufficient for salvation and obedience. It gives us everything we need to know. We don't need any new revelation um, to know how to be saved and how to be obedient. I'll interpret everything through the lens of scripture rather than letting the world trump the clear teachings of it. But imagine if we actually lived our lives and actually believed that scripture, that God was enough. I know we say that we do. We say, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, obviously God's enough. But if we looked at our lives, would that be evident? To believe that what scripture says is true, and I don't need anything else to know the way to salvation and obedience. Again, sure, studying science and history can enhance my reading of the Bible, but it's never going to change the message. But just imagine being like David and knowing that even if Saul actually caught up with him and actually managed to kill him, he was with God, he has God, he has scripture, and that is enough for him. Just imagine living with that boldness. So does that describe you? When you're faced with these fears, is your first place to run to scripture? Or do you run to the wisdom of the world and people and try to figure out how I'm going to get around this? Or is my first place to run to the Lord and see what he has in store for me? Knowing that God is the absolute authority, full of truth and completely sufficient for my salvation and life, why are we so often gripped by fear? We serve the one true God who has the power to create all things and know all things, yet we still find ourselves afraid to share our faith at work, or I'm afraid of sickness or all these things. I'm afraid of all these things that are under the authority of our sovereign God. Now, the best part is we don't just have a God who knows our struggles And we don't just have a God that shares truth with us, but we also have a God that cares. And I can know that God cares. So that's your third third point. And we're getting that from verse eight in Psalm 56. It says, you've kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? He knows that God cares. David knows that God doesn't just see his struggles, but actually has compassion and sympathy for him. Just listen to the heart of God as we can see it in scripture, just throughout scripture. These are just a couple points that came out with. A few things that God promises. Scripture promises that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Promises that the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Tells us to cast our cares on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Tells us God cares for the sparrow. How much more is he going to care for you? These are all promises. We, we know the word of God is true. We know these promises are true. So do you believe that? If you took a bird's eye view of your life and saw how you acted in stressful situations when things scared you, overwhelmed you, when things hurt, would you see a person that trusts in the Lord? Would you see a person like running straight to God's word or someone that goes to God in prayer? Would you see a person that really believes God loves them and is working all things for your good and his glory if you love him? We have a God says that keeps count of all our tossing, bottling our tears, not literally, but God sees all those things and he has a heart for them. And again, we don't have a God who sees us hurting and pats our head and says, they're there, I hope it gets better, don't worry about it. Think of the biggest issue that we ever had as a human race, sin separating us from the Lord. He didn't look down and say, oh man, that's too bad. That's, that's a really rough go for them, and then ignore us. No, we are separated from God, so broken, we didn't even know we were enslaved to sin. And in that moment where we should have been most fearful of our separation from God, he didn't just look down and feel bad. He actually sent his own son, accomplishing everything necessary to make a way to be restored. Hebrews tells us so beautifully that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He came in the flesh, was tempted in every way, remained perfect, and died to free us. So that's a God, that I would say that's a God who cares. That's more than he even needed to do. We have a God that loved us while we were still enemies. If you're not following Christ right now, he cared enough to die for you, and that should be enough reason to run to a savior and turn from your sin when you can't save yourself from it. If you are following the Lord, you know that he died for you while you were still enemies to him. So why do we constantly live in fear when we know he loved me when I was his enemy, now I'm his child, how much more will he take care of me? If some of you don't know my wife, Renee, she's one of those lovely people that will sing with your children in Harvest Kids. Now, she's pregnant right now, and I'm excited about that. And I'm discovering, because it's our first child, I'm discovering that it's a much larger undertaking than I imagined, <laughs> right? It turns out that being pregnant is really exhausting. I know, so that's uh, my little, <laughs> yeah, I know. Smart one, that's, that's my little nugget of wisdom right there for any of you first-time dads-to-be, you are welcome. <laughs> so, pregnancy is exhausting, there's your takeaway. No, there's more. But it's been a time of learning for her as well, as she's in need of more help than she's ever needed before. And the way that we've been cared for in the last number of months has been incredible. With her parents and siblings coming all the way from St. Catharines to Welland, we're taking a half hour drive just to make sure that she can get home from work on days where I can't pick her up so she doesn't have to walk. People from church here bringing dinner without being asked, and they always do it on the perfect days when we need it most. It's like, man, you guys are awesome. Praise the Lord for that. But the way we've been loved is such a blessing and encouragement. But think, these are people that love the Lord, but ultimately are still plagued by sin here on earth. These are imperfect people serving a perfect God. If these people can make such an impact on my life through their love and through their care, how much more does my creator, my eternal and perfect father, care for me? 
I know that I have a family and a church family that loves me more than I deserve, but David's reminding us here that we have a God who deeply cares for us more than any person could. And when we trust in him, that gripping and paralyzing fear really just can't take hold because he has us covered. So what was David's response and what should our response be? We know that we have a God who loves us. We know that we have a God that cares for our suffering and for our pain and for our fears. We know we have a God who has given us his word that we know is true. So how do we respond? When we're faced with fear, when we're faced with hardship, we're still saying, okay, but this still stinks. I still don't know what to do in this situation. So we're going to look at verse 12 and 13. He says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of light, or the light of life. Now remember, his situation's still the exact same. He's still on the run for his life. He's still pretty much alone at this point, apart from the word of God. His situation hasn't changed, and this is his response. So what did David do? He kept running the race, and we should do likewise. David didn't give up. He didn't leave his faith behind or let his trust in God waver when asking those, where are you, God, questions. He kept running the race marked out for him, and we can do this in a couple of ways. First, we have to continue to meet together. Yes, David was alone here, but he doesn't stay alone forever. He becomes surrounded by faithful people, not perfect people, but they can hold him up through difficulties. So when you're struggling, when you're overwhelmed, when you're afraid, don't retreat from the body of Christ, as can easily be the habit. The time when you need encouragement and to be held up the most is a lot of times when we find ourselves retreating and spending the most time in isolation, left with just our thoughts and not that second voice of reason to point us to the Lord. So imagine you're, you're going on a hike. You're like, man, I really want to get outside. Going to go on a hike. Going to go to Niagara Glen in particular. So you're inviting your friends and family. You love being outdoors. You want people with you. You're, like, you're having a great time. You guys are hiking. You're enjoying nature, looking at the beauty, and just enjoying conversation, having stories, just having a, a great time. Partway down, when you get close to the bottom, your foot gets caught, you break your ankle. That's not what you want. But you loved having people around you. You invited them all. You, wanted, you didn't want to take this journey by yourself. You didn't want to go hiking all alone. But now imagine you immediately tell everyone, just go on without me. Like, I don't want to bum you out. This is just going to slow you guys down. It's not going to be any fun having some broken guy with you. Just I'll, don't worry, I'll drag myself up. Uh, what is it? I think it's like 30 steps down and some like 600 steps on the way up. That's about where it feels. But you just say, don't worry. I'll catch up with you guys in a couple months when my foot's healed, and then we can, we can start where we left off, go back on our hike, and we can enjoy the outdoors again. It sounds pretty ridiculous, but we honestly find ourselves doing that sometimes. We come out when the going's great, we're surrounded by people, sharing stories, celebrating together, praising the Lord together, and then retreat and push people away when things are a struggle. And I think, oh, I don't want to be a burden to them, I don't want to bum them out, I don't want to be a downer. It's not always easy to admit we need people around us, but that's just one of the reasons God has placed us in community, to push us towards him, direct us towards the truth, model Christ-like living, but also to encourage and hold each other up when we need to. 
So if this has been a year where maybe you haven't been plugged into your small group in the way you're called to or plugged into your community Sunday morning or praying together as a community, if you've been retreating at times in 2017, whether it's from fear, whether it's from whatever, please don't let that habit continue for another year and miss out on the fullness of a church community as God designed it anymore. There's no reason to retreat from our community when God put us here for a purpose. So that's the first thing we can do to live without fear and continue running the race is we can continue meeting together. Secondly, we're also called to worship. So keep worshiping. Like what's David doing at one of his darkest moments here? He's writing a song extolling the virtues of God. It's a pretty good way to spend your dark moments. He's reminding himself and praising God for his love, deliverance, his justice, his trustworthiness, his care and attention, and his power. He's praising God for all that he is and recognizing that God is bigger than any situation he can find himself in. So don't stop worshiping God when times are difficult. Some of you might know who R.C. Sproul was. He was an American theologian, a preacher in the Presbyterian church there. He had a wonderful online ministry with a bunch of resources. He wrote a book called The Holiness of God, which I'd say really describes him and his belief. He believes so strongly in the holiness and sovereignty of God, that he is over all things. Now, R.C. Sproul passed away about two weeks ago on the 14th, I think, and he was plagued by health issues for a couple of years. But in the past, he had written a lot of books and articles on suffering and hardship and difficulties. So I'll paraphrase a little here. But in an interview, after about a year of health issues, he was asked how his studies and how his books had actually been an encouragement to him in his crisis. Now, he's a pretty humble guy, so he obviously mentioned that there's people with a lot worse off situations than him. But he said every single day he would pray Psalm 23, reminding himself that God is his shepherd. He doesn't need anything else. He takes him to the green pastures, restores his soul. He grows him in righteousness, and he has no need for fear, even in the valleys and hard times. And why? Because God's with him. Every day, he was reminded of this. He would read it every single day. Now, he admits the reality of anxieties, saying they're a real thing. There are still real issues that need to be dealt with. But he said trusting in the Lord because of who he is brought him an unbelievable peace and comfort in who God was, knowing that he's sovereign, knowing that he's in control, brought him an incredible amount of peace. He would say he was even called to a time of suffering, and he wanted to make sure that he kept worshiping God even in that time. That's such a beautiful testimony of someone who knew the truth and trusted in it until the final day when he was called to be with the Lord. So don't stop worshiping God. We say God is good all the time, and we mean that. Don't stop worshiping God just because things are difficult. But David also continued to serve God. So he says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. Just because times were difficult, David didn't put the things God called him to on hold. Don't stop serving God because you're afraid. Now, if you're already not serving God because of fear, then I would say start. But if you are serving him, don't stop when fear comes. I'd say some of the people that touch us the most are the ones that serve through the fear and through the hurt. When I see somebody doing incredible work for the Lord despite disabilities or hardship or fear or oppression, it's such a challenge for me to step up and worship God 
freshly and new. When I hear stories of people praising God in the face of death for their faith, suddenly having that atheist coworker that you want to share your faith with really isn't so scary because I'm pretty sure my life isn't in danger. So seeing people be bold for their faith can bolster my own. When I hear people like R.C. Sproul preach and teach and praise God up until the very day he dies, it pushes me closer to God because I want to praise him like that. Again, he knew he was dying. This didn't, this didn't creep up on him like uh, in a couple days. Now, some of our first thoughts, if we hear that we've only got a couple years left maybe, we're going to be thinking, thinking bucket list, thinking what are the cool things we want to see or do before we die? Personally, my thing would be I would want to learn how to do a backflip, which would probably be the thing that kills me. But regardless, what was his bucket list when he knows his health is failing? He's thinking, I want to serve God, I want to preach truth, and I want to win people to Christ. When I hear stories like that, it fires me up to go all out for God no matter what. You can be used by God by continuing to serve him, share him, and model his character despite hardship. Then lastly, David still has a heart of thankfulness. So continue being thankful. David continues, it says, to render thank offerings to God. I will render thank offerings to you. When things get hard, does your thankfulness just go out the window? And all you're focusing on is here's the difficulty, everything's terrible, life is awful. Again, it's like walking through the woods, getting some dirt on you, and then spending the rest of your hike and the rest of the day talking about how disgusting the forest is and how terrible your hike was because I got some dirt on me. Like, maybe it was a ton of dirt. Maybe it did really mess up your clothes. But look at the big picture as well. And even think in your own life. When hardship comes, do you focus on that or can you still be thankful for the things that God has given you? Do you still maybe still have employment or have means for food or shelter? Do you have a loving family? Are you still destined for a heaven that you don't deserve because of the grace of God? Those are some things to be thankful for. I put the last one in there because ultimately if you have Christ, it's enough. And if you don't have Christ, nothing's going to be enough. Be thankful for what you do have. Maybe even take some time in those moments of hardship to write down some of the things you can be thankful for and I can promise you, if you think hard about it, it's going to take you quite a while to get a full comprehensive list of everything you can be thankful for. So you guys have about 12 hours-ish of 2017 left. It's not a New Year's resolution per se, but it's more of a refocusing on the Lord. Again, things are going to happen this year that are going to hurt Things are going to happen that you're going to feel absolutely unqualified to deal with. And they're going to scare the daylights out of you. So what are you going to do? Are you going to submit yourself to the authority of God's word? Are you going to run to the word of God in the God that you can trust, knowing we're promised here that flesh, that man, can't do anything against us in an eternal sense if you have the righteousness of Christ covering you? So are you going to go there? Are you going to go to the God who cares enough to send his son? Are you going to run to him? Or are you going to let fear grip you, paralyze you, and just kind of sit in the dirt and hopefully just wait for it to pass, and then maybe we'll try again serving the Lord wholeheartedly when this difficulty passes? I pray that is not 
uh, the response you would have. My prayer is you would continue to follow after the Lord with the same or even with more intensity when trials come your way, knowing how desperately you need him, trusting in the Lord without fear, since he's proved himself to be true over and over and over again and has modeled his love to us in incredible, incredible ways. So if you'll just pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for your incredible love. Again, that you've given us your word to reveal your truth to us and that we can stand firmly on that. Knowing that you are taking care of us, taking notice of our hardship and that you are working all things together for your glory and for all our good for those who love him. God, we praise you for that. I pray that this year, as we look back, we would be able to think of some clear times where we had hardship and think of how we responded. And God, I pray in our coming year that we would respond by running straight to the foot of the cross, to the one who loves us, to the one who will hold us up and carry us, and being surrounded by people um, that will encourage us and push us towards you as well. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are. And I pray for a year uh, where it is characterized by a bold serving of you. And I pray this on your name. Amen.